you know, as difficult as trying to record a TV show, especially when no one else had really done it. I mean, it's just the pioneering phases of it all. Oh, it was scary, man. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I had to have a show. Listening to the Muzzleloaders Podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything black powder. How's it going, everybody? It's Darren with the Muzzleloaders.com, and you're listening to the Muzzleloaders Podcast. And I am very excited to be with Jackie Bushman today. And uh, we are going to be having a lot of awesome conversation about Buckmasters and uh, the Jackie Bushman show and uh, and all that kind of fun stuff. So, uh, Jackie, how are you doing today? Oh, Darren, I'm great. It's Monday, and it's 5 o'clock somewhere, so we're in good shape. Good, good. <laughs> Glad to hear that. So, uh, for our listeners, uh, I guess just kind of say a little bit about uh, who you are, what you've done, um, for those that maybe aren't aware. Well, I was an old tennis pro, uh, struggling to try to make a living uh, playing professional tennis back in the 70s, and uh, that didn't work very good, so <laughs> I became a teaching pro, uh out at uh, uh, Montgomery City facility called Lagoon Park, and I was a tennis pro there for probably seven or eight years. And uh, my dad and I were basically in the uh, promotional business, so we had the second largest collegiate tennis tournament in the country called the Blue Gray. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was doing that, I had a friend of mine, my friend of my dad's, who was sponsoring the tournament. His name was Perry Mendel, and he was the chairman of Kindercare Corporations, little child care centers all over the country. He asked me what I wanted to do besides hit tennis balls to kids and old ladies the rest of my life. And I said, my good friend who just passed away here a couple of weeks ago, Ray Scott of Bassmasters. And uh, I wanted to do similar what he did for the bass fishing folks and do it for deer hunting. And uh, that's how we got started. He put the money up and we were off and running and we were doing prom- promotional events and trying to get on TV and all that good stuff. But Started as a tennis pro in the promotional event business and kind of switched that to an outdoors format. That's how we kind of got off and running. Interesting. And um, I guess you've been passionate about hunting even before that, like growing up and uh, tennis was kind of like your your other passion as well. Um, What caused you to decide to go from tennis into like the outdoor industry? Well, you know, everybody asked me that question. My dad was a, you know, professional tennis player. He's a great basketball player at LSU and stuff. And Mm-hmm. It was just all sports with my dad, but my my mother's dad, Poppy, who was my grandfather, he's the one that got me in the outdoors. Started hunting and fishing with him at an early age, and you know to this day, my my dad never could understand. We would play a southern tennis circuit and went from different towns, from you know from Atlanta to Columbus, you know to Rome, Georgia to Tennessee, and all that. And every time we get, I'd win all the tournaments until we got to Rome, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And that's where my grandfather was from. And my dad to this day still couldn't figure it out. Well, every time I'd get to that tournament, it was a full moon and the brim were biting. So I'd try to, I wouldn't win the first couple of rounds. I'm out of here. I'm going brim fishing with my, with my grandfather. <laughs> and, and then I'd win the next week. So he never could figure that out. I never told him either. So, uh, but no, he just got me in, you know, and it's funny, you know, sports, you know, I was very competitive and, uh, getting over to the outdoors is just was so refreshing and relaxing. My grandfather was such a great outdoorsman. So I got the bug from him and then 
you know, I was mostly small game hunting, you know, squirrels and rabbits and things like that and shooting 22s. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really start deer hunting until I, I think I got my first deer when I was 15, I believe. Uh, uh, double all buck shot shotgun on a little silent deer drive over Myrtlewood, Alabama. So, uh, <laughs> and, and then I got hooked on the deer hunting. But no, I've, I've always enjoyed the outdoors, but I'd have to say it was more off my grandfather than, uh, side than it was my father. Interesting. Yeah. And I was, you always see, uh, whenever hunting season rolls around, you kind of find out where your true priorities lie. It seems like so. <laughs> Absolutely. And I told my wife for 42 years, you knew what you got into, you know, when you married mm-hmm. me. So I'm going to be gone during hunting season. <laughs> Only problem is back in those days, I wasn't making a living at it. So now I make a living at it. I'm still gone more than anything. So there you um, go. So I've been blessed, been blessed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that a lot of things that people don't really realize about, uh, uh, hunting personalities and like having a TV show, at least I didn't realize this until I, uh, you know, started talking to people like you and, and some of my other friends in the industry is that there's a huge amount of work that goes into producing a TV show. Like you think you, from the outside, you look at it and you're like, Oh, it'd be great to just go and hunt all the time. But, uh, (laughs) there's, you know, like we were just talking, you had about, uh, like, you know, a good several weeks that you were just filming your show, you know? And so it's just a lot of effort that goes in that too. Yeah. A lot of people ask that question and, you know, you know, they just sit in and watch the, you know, they just watch the version on television and don't know what really goes on behind the scenes. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we were the first one to bring a deer hunting show to major cable television back in 1988. So, uh, yeah. we've been on the longest of anybody. Now there's, I think 400 hunt shows, but we're looking usually at about 17 minutes and 40 seconds of editorial. That's, mm-hmm. And we're, and we're doing it in a four and a half to five day window to try to get a complete show. And I always tell everybody, if they're seeing a lot of, you know, eating around the table and a lot of practice shooting and this and that, we've had a tough week, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Cause <laughs> it, it just is what it is, but we've been blessed to scratch out a lot of hunts over these. I really haven't been, I might've been skunked two or three times in 37 years, but we've, usually been very successful or, or I'll miss something, you know, Hey, my highest rated shows in the early days still today is if I miss a deer, which is pretty common with, pretty common with me, I'll miss the fire out of them. So, uh, but, but it is, there's a lot to produce in a TV show. And I always started way back there and I, and I, and you listen to your audience, you don't give the audience what you think they want. You give them what they want. And if you listen to them, they'll tell you. So, mm-hmm. and you, you've got a sport deer hunting, which you got about 11 million folks. who've got a pretty big ego. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's a manhood thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, so I learned real quick not to be the guy that was trying to tell people how to deer hunt. There's a lot more folks out there that know more about deer hunting and be more successful than me. They just don't do a TV show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I learned real quick. The number one thing they said they wanted to see in, a, in an outdoor show is they wanted to sit down, relax, and be entertained. So once I got that message, oh, that was easy to do. So yeah. uh, me missing deer on national television, that was pretty easy to do. And, <laughs> and, th- and that was entertainment. And you know, then we started doing you know, practical jokes in hunting camps and stuff, because that's what happens in hunting camps. You're having fun with your buddies and stuff. Yeah. So we got into a section called Bushwhacked. We did that for a while. And, uh, so you just, you live and you learn and, you know, whether we, you know, bow hunted, gun hunted, muzzle hunted, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I always say pick the weapon you like and, and go enjoy the sport and don't argue between your, you know, your companions and, and, and your fellow hunters. Just pick out one you like and go enjoy it and, and invite somebody else out there to enjoy the passion. So, yeah. uh, 
But that's, you know, TV's a, it's an interesting deal because most people just sit down and they don't know what went behind the scenes. Your cameras, oh my gosh. I mean, in the early days, now I know why people never did a whitetail show. In the early days, we had these big deck cameras that probably cost $50,000 <laughs> and they weighed 25 pounds. Uh-huh. Well, they wouldn't gather light worth a flip. I mean, you, you got 30 minutes. 30 minutes in the morning is usually peak and thirty the last 30 minutes in the afternoon. Yep. Well, our cameras couldn't even turn on in the mornings till 30 minutes after, you know, daylight. <laughs> and then in the afternoons, we're shutting down before prime time. So mm-hmm. my first years on TV, Darren, were all in Texas. I did every show in Texas because the deer at least stayed out in, in good light. And mm-hmm. that's just the way it was. Now, today, as we sit here, I can get a camera that is probably maybe weighs a pound, a pound and a half. It costs thirty five hundred to five thousand dollars, and it gets you HD quality better than the fifty thousand dollar cameras. I got, yep. I got four fifty thousand dollar cameras sitting over there uh, in in a cubicle, and I can't give them away. <laughs> so, the technology side of the video side of television is is improved immensely. Now, mm-hmm. the cameras can see better than me. Okay, I'm usually going, I can't see anymore, and the cameras still can see. That's 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 an amazing technology change that I've seen over the years. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, even the cameras on your phone nowadays, like I have a, I have a oh, Samsung God. S21 Ultra, and it's it's like 108 megapixel to film in 4K and like the whole nine yards. Just on a yeah. phone, you know? Yeah, amazing it's technology. Amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, what was the what was it like being in the outdoor industry back in the eighties? Like, was the outdoor channel around back then, or was it a different network, or what did it look like? No, I started out on the Nashville network. Mm. I called ESPN, and I called the Nashville network. I said, "Hey, uh, I, I, I want to do a hunting show." Boy, that was a quick conversation. They hung up pretty fast. <laughs> so, uh, so I called TNN guys back. And I said, "Look, I've got a promotional event." And it's set up like the old NBC Superstars event. You were probably too young to know what that was. But uh, NBC had an event where they had, like, Joe Frazier, the professional boxer, doing bike riding. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Or mm-hmm. Bruce Jenner, when he was Bruce Jenner, was doing uh, swimming or something. You follow me? So yep. it had all these famous athletes, but doing different types of events. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that format and I said, look, I'm going to change. I'm going to do an event and I'm going to put it in an outdoors twist. So we had knife throwing, hatchet throwing, skeet shooting, bow and arrow, bow and arrow golf. Uh, we had ATV obstacle. Uh, uh, so we put all that together and I had, I had Bo Jackson, who was a friend of mine who went to Auburn and, you know, uh, right after me, uh-huh. I had uh, Rick Sutcliffe and Jody Davis of the Chicago Cubs. I had Lynn Dickey, who was a quarterback at Green Bay at that time, and I had country music singer Johnny Lee saying Looking for Love. And that was my five celebrities. And then I had the Outdoor Press on a team. I had Buckmaster members on a team. So so I called the network, and I said, look, I'm doing this production called the Buckmaster's Classic. It's similar to the NBC, NBC Superstars. They said, oh, yeah, we've heard of that. They said, no hunting? I said, no hunting. It's just a 30-minute pilot to show y'all that this lifestyle out there would like to have a hunting show. They mm-hmm. said, okay, who's going to produce it? Well, the guy in town named Dan Black produced the Bassmaster show, which oh. was airing on TNN. So that kind of helped me right off the bat. So I'll never forget this because I'm still teaching tennis now. I, this Buckmasters is just a concept and I've got an event. Yeah. So 
I'm teaching a tennis lesson. I'm soaking wet. And Mr. Mendel at Kennecare called and said, hey, you need to get over here to Kennecare. This corporate plane just flew in from Nashville. The Gaylord Entertainment guys want to talk to you. So I said, well, man, so so I go up to the Kennecare border, and I'm soaking wet from a tennis lesson. I'm in shorts and everything. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. I walked in the door, and there they are. They're all four big top execs. It said, sit down, young man. You just brought us the highest rated show we've ever had on the network. And hmm. I went, wow. I said, well. All I wanted to do is show y'all that there's a lifestyle out there starving for the hunting side of it. And they said, you've proven that. Now, before they even got to their list, and this is this was, what, 37 years ago. Mm-hmm. I said, look, we don't need to show an impact shot. We don't want to be offensive. We won't show any blood on the show. And there's, uh, you know, like I said, there's no impact, no blood. And we will not say the word K-I-L-L. That is the exact list that they were getting ready to present to me. I said, well, that's just the way. Let's start out, you know, and make it a wholesome, you know, family show. And uh, and let's just have some fun with it. And when it aired, like I said, that was in 88. That was the pilot. So uh, the original series started in 89 mm-hmm. and went 13 weeks at 10 o'clock on Sunday nights. And basically, we created the Sunday night block. Mm-hmm. And then we went 15 years on the Nashville Network. And during, back in those days, we could do one airing and go into a million six homes. Okay. Wow. Now with cable television fragmented, you know, you'll be lucky to do a third of that. You know what I'm saying? You have to mm-hmm. do it four or five times a week. So, but, you know, times have changed. And then we went to when MO, M, MTV bought the uh, National Network and they got rid of hunting and fishing shows. Mm-hmm. So, we had to go find a new home and we found a home with the outdoor life network, which changed to versus, which changed to something else. I forget, but, um, we stayed there a couple of years and the outdoor channel was just up and coming and they were always calling me and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I was giving them Buckmaster classics, you know what I'm saying? I let them have some of those. Mm-hmm. And, and then finally Wade Sherman talked to me and we just decided to make the complete move to the outdoor channel because it was an enthusiast. We knew that was a hunter. Sometimes you go into networks and they're, you know, they got folks that don't hunt, you know, so mm-hmm. we wanted, and I had to talk to our sponsors and say, Hey guys, if y'all want to make that move and all I'm said, let's do it. So that's kind of how we got there. And then the Jackie Bushman show started, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years after that, you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, and that was just, we were trying to find a kind of a talk show format, a little bit more, you know, humor stuff going on. We could do a little bit more in it. And plus we needed another show to deliver the households between two, TV shows. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Because when we had one show on, on TNN, we were going to million six. So we had to have two shows basically try to get the same amount of households as possible uh, for our sponsors. So sure. yeah. that's kind of how we got started. You know, like I said, I was a, I was a tennis pro. I didn't, and I didn't do TV to, you know, to be an outdoor celebrity. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't the way it was. It was about the business owner. I mean, Ray Scott did Bassmasters to get subscriptions. You mm-hmm. follow me? Yeah. So we did the same thing. We were doing a show to try to get people to subscribe to our magazine. So that was the dynamics behind it. So with uh, with TV, because uh, you're saying a million and six households, um, has TV, have you seen any decline in that, like with the increase of streaming services and all that kind of stuff, like Amazon Prime? Um, or well, I mean, is it kind of the same? Well, I mean, the way I look at it, I mean – everything's changing. So you want to be as many different places as you can, but you still got your core audience. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You still got your folks still like to watch television and you know, your younger groups are going more to your streaming services and things like that. So we try to 
see if we can try to be in as many places and eyeballs that they can see the Buckmaster's brand. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's changing. No question about it. Yeah, totally. And I, th I always kind of wonder about that because um, ultimately people are, I think are always going to watch TV, but it's just interesting over the last, like even five years, how many people you've seen get away from watching TV and more to like Hulu and like those kinds of things. And it just depends, you know, I can see that in general television, but again, your outdoors content is in, in, in a few places. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? As these yeah. streaming networks, you know, pick up more outdoor content, I'm sure that'll be different. But as I said, you know, we're still strong as as we can be on the outdoor channel, and uh, we'll yeah. stay there. And, uh, you know, Sunday night's still our night, and we've created a block over there that a lot of the big stars are on Sunday nights. So there's a good block of television on Sunday night that people continue to watch. Now, hey, they might mm -hmm. DVR it and come back and watch it at a different time, but it's still there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's pretty pretty smart. Um, so, what did you, what was your crew like? So, back in you know nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine, uh, was it just you, or did you have uh, like who was there running camera and all that kind of stuff? You know, that's funny because I remember we went out with some of uh, Steve Barkowski good friend he came to the Buckmasters classic you know he's a quarterback for the Falcons and stuff mm -hmm. for years and he had a show over there I think he had about four or five people and you know all these things and I just show up my camera guy he went where's your crew I said well that's him that's <laughs> me and him I said what do you need what do you need all those other folks for I said we got enough problems going in the woods with two people much yeah. less four or five so uh they all laughed at me you know I didn't know I said I'm just old redneck from Alabama man we're just trying to entertain Bubba out there so uh <laughs> But, you know, I've had a lot of the same camera guys. Uh, you know, Mark, uh, my producer now, he's been with me probably 25 years. Mm -hmm. uh, Gene Vitalsbacher was my first one, and Gene and I were together for like 10 years. He mm -hmm. moved back to Montana, uh, had Pat Gregory here, Dan Black. So I've had a few, but, I mean, then we got four or five other guys that video other, you know, if we're taking sponsors or we got Jacob Landry, who's a co-host, you know, mm -hmm. we got – two or three other camera guys that go out and video everything. I can't, I can't do just me. Cause I, I mean, that's the thing about hunting season. You only have a small time. So I got other folks that bring us content too. And now with this digital world, so we're looking at bringing on more talent out there across the country and being part of a Buckmasters digital platform coming soon. So I'll mm -hmm. be able to talk to you more about that, you know, at a later date, but that's, that's just kind of the way we're at. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's always fun to hear about because, you know, I've talked to a couple of different people that have had TV shows and it's always funny to see the, you know, the where they begin and the people that they have and it's just like, you know, just a couple of us out there with a camera, you know. And that's what I always tell people too is if you're passionate about something, just start. Start with what you can do and then you can work mm -hmm. on perfecting it from there, you know. But do your passions. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, you know, golly, some of these folks are out there with these cell cameras with the sticks and, you know, solo video. That, that's cool, man, if that's mm -hmm. what you want to do. You know, because in the old days, I mean, I had a hunt, and I could remember it in my memory. But, boy, to have it on camera and stuff, how cool is that to put it in the library for your kids and your grandkids to see down the road? So, uh, this technology is really amazing. It is, totally. Um, so, uh, with all these years, I mean, like 30-plus 30, 30 years uh, in the outdoor industry, what do you think has been the – uh, the most memorable or like best part of all of that? Well, I will say we have such a small industry and everybody knows everybody. And that's mm -hmm. the cool thing. It's almost like a family atmosphere, you know, and you see all these folks at the shot show or the boat show and, you know, whether they're a sponsor or not, you know, you just become friends with everybody. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, you admire what they do and the products they put out, and they admire kind of what, you know, what we do. So I just say it's a close-knit little old family, you know. That, that's the coolest thing I've liked about it because, you, know, you know, we stay on the road a bunch. I mean, a lot of people don't understand this. To me, it's like play, playing professional tennis again. I'm in a suitcase, mm-hmm. and I'm gone from September, and we hunt every day till February 10th and yeah. for deer, and then turkey season starts. And, you know, it's funny because you get out on the road, and the people, man, I give anything to have your job, you know. They're out there, and, you know, the hunt starts on Monday by Wednesday. They're about burned out, ready to go home. I said, well, <laughs> we're going to hunt Friday, but we might go home, wash clothes, and we're back on the road again. So uh, yep. it's it's a lifestyle a lot of people don't understand, but, you know, it's what we do. We love what we do. And, uh, you know, I tell everybody, I said, I'm in church every day for about eight months. I said, I get a chance to watch the woods open, and I get the chance to see God put everything to bed, at, you know, when it goes dark. And that's the mm-hmm. coolest thing about it because – what a great creation is the great outdoors. And I think, uh, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. And along those lines too, what, uh, what's it like having a family and when you're on the road so much, you're hunting a lot, like, does your family come with you or what's that look like? No, no. My wife is not a hunter. Okay. She's <laughs> just a city girl. And, uh, but you know, she likes to bird hunt and she likes the dog part of it. Uh-huh. You know, my kids were on TV with me, you know, you know, when they were, 12 years old and uh my daughter went to about 12 to 15 then she started finding out about the boys and dating so <laughs> she left me till she was about 23 and came back then my son uh he hunted on tv i think till maybe 15 or so and then you know he he was so involved in sports and stuff and he really liked to turkey hunt you know he deer hunted because you know we did it on tv and stuff mm-hmm. but he really got the bug for turkey hunting and yeah and you know that little group now is into cooking and all that so but no, I mean, you know, they had their life. And, I, you know, one thing about it, I, I always promised a lot of people, I you know, they wanted me to come speak at deer shows. I said, I just can't do it. I mean, that's my time. I coach baseball. and I coach basketball, you know, YMCA. So mm-hmm. I made sure I never missed a ball game. If he had a basketball game on Friday night, I'd be back. And then I'd leave Saturday morning and go back on another trip. And if there was a dance recital or cheerleading, I never missed that. So because I just always remember, you can't get those times back with mm-hmm. your kids. And so – but it was tough. The traveling was a, it was the toughest part. My wife did the job, I'll be honest with you. I mean, raising two kids and dogs and dying parents and all of that, that's tough. You know? mm-hmm. So, so uh, but yeah, kudos to her because uh, without her, wow, I wouldn't have never made it. Yeah, totally. And I think that's, uh, you know, like you're saying, I think the, that your family and your support group is so important, especially when you're doing something um, – you know, as difficult as trying to record a TV show, especially when no one else had really done it. I mean, it's just the pioneering phases of it all. Oh, it was scary, man. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I had to have a show. You know, it wasn't like, hey, I might do a show. You know, I had to, we had to pull out some stuff. And that's why I said I stayed in Texas a good bit because at least we could get deer on camera in the early days. Now mm-hmm. we go a little bit everywhere. And what we did is we started learning is most of the seasons started out west. You know what I'm saying? So, I remember at first we were going in July to uh, up into Canada and Quebec to hunt caribou. And I was getting two shows in the canon in July, 1st of August. You know, mm-hmm. I was going, well, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. Then we would start hunting, say, in Montana and places that came in earlier. And then elk hunting and, you know, in October and stuff. And then we just moved all the way east. Mm-hmm. And see, that took a lot of pressure off. And, you know, and then, you know, we were working with the outfitters and the outfitters wanted to, you know, book clients. So we would go in and do a hunt and put their telephone number up there. And then we just to trade out and stuff. And 
boy, we booked up all the outfitters, you know, that we went to. And so that was a good thing. And it was just the way we did it. And normally, I mean, I'm still going back to the same people I did 36 years ago. We had to teach a lot of people how to video hunt. A lot of people, you know, an outfitter knows how to hunt and they can put a deer on there, but we've got to be in situations where, you know, the situation is still kind of thick, but you got to have enough visibility that you can see animals burn tape before yep. the shot. If they just step out there, you don't have much. So mm-hmm. uh, teaching outfitters over the years how to video hunt, because see, you got two people, you got, you got double the scent, the noise, everything. So uh, we had to have a whole bunch of stand locations depending on different wind directions. So, it was a game. So to try to go teach an outfitter each year. So we stayed with the same ones. And that way we kind of knew, Hey, we knew we we're going to get a show there, whether mm-hmm. it's a good week or bad week. And that way, business wise, you know, you're going to have enough for the network and have enough for the fans to watch. Yeah. And so with, with all those like requirements, like, you know, the pressure of trying to get shows rolling and, and train outfitters and all those kinds of things. Did, have you ever lost your, um, your passion for hunting did it ever get like kind of monotonous after a while or has it just kind of stayed the same your whole uh career you know that is a common question everybody asked me i love the hunt mm-hmm. now i'll be honest with you i don't like to travel like i used to you know having to get up and drive to an airport that's three hours away and all that but when i get there i love i love to do it now the pressure is not as bad because the cameras are better mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying when the cameras were bad, you know, that was the problem. And it was a serious problem. But once the cameras got better, you know, because there's two famous words a cameraman used to tell me is don't shoot. I have no light. <laughs> you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times I want to turn around and slap. Him. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's just, but that was the game. That was what we were dealing with. I mean, I had 178, uh, it was 170-inch deer in Montana at 10 steps. I can either make that shot with enough light. Yeah. And he stood there for 10, 15 minutes. Like, you got, nope, nope, nope. Then he just walked off. I just, and from that day on, I was so mad. But I, you know, the thing was for me to shoot that deer, it didn't, for my personal part, it wouldn't have helped him. I, I, I video for the fans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and if I don't have light, I'm not going to shoot the deer because the fans aren't going to get a chance to see anything. So, mm-hmm. Out of 37 years of filming there, I've only shot one deer off a of camera. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that was because Illinois, last morning, the cameras fogged up in the fog for three days. And I finally shot it to, to get an article. That's the only deer I ever shot off camera. Yeah. Man. So it's a business. It's just a business, and you accept it. And uh, You're not out there personal hunting. You're out there to entertain the audience. And if you, once you get that in your head, it is what it is. Yeah, totally. I think that's something I actually, uh, last year, so I hunted growing up, uh, I was a little more casual, uh, hunting and last year I kind of had to reframe my, my mindset around hunting. Cause I was hunting to, for, to succeed. Like I was going out there for the sole purpose of, of success. Um, and I, last year I had to, you know, one of my friends actually kind of called me out on it, but it's like, I had to redefine what success looked like and success mm-hmm. now is, is having an adventure, seeing something I haven't seen, doing something I haven't done. Uh, right. enjoying the outdoors you know and it's not all about that uh that successful kill that's right and if more people did it that way they would enjoy the sport you know a lot of yeah. it's a lot of peer pressure got to keep up with the buddies and who shoots the biggest and all that well you're taking the fun out of the game mm-hmm. you know enjoy it i tell you the older you get you, your selection of deer start getting a little different you know what i'm saying <laughs> hmm. yeah 
do I want to shoot that? Do I want to drag that one out? Am I going to mount it? You know, there's a lot of yeah. questions that go in there. And a lot of folks go, you know, I've had a good day. Let's go to the house. Yeah. You know? Yep. So yeah, the older you get, so, you know, some of that will change. But I've always told everybody, like I said, you're going into God's house. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful sight of watching that sun come up and watching the animals start coming alive in the woods. And then when that sunset goes down, because there will be a day that you won't be able to enjoy that, at least on earth anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's a peaceful time to be out there and enjoy it with your family and your friends. And, uh, as I said, I've gotten older. I've lost a lot of my hunting buddies. And that's just, that's just the way it is. So mm-hmm. I always tell everybody, enjoy each hunting season because you might not have one of your buddies there the next one. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that uh, people should surround themselves with people that are that are like that, that they enjoy hunting with, not that they feel like they have to keep up with, you know. Um, yeah. You yeah. should be able to rejoice in your friend's success just like it was your own. Yeah, and don't put so many rules on your hunting club that you're just – you're taking the fun out of the sport. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I see, I see that happen so much, uh, at least down here, you know, that, you know, you chastise somebody cause I shoot, but I mean, if it's her first buck, I mean, I shot a six inch spike. That was, and everybody <laughs> asked me, what's your favorite buck? That's my favorite buck. My mm-hmm. first buck was a six inch spike and it's still my favorite buck. So I would highly recommend folks just being careful of how you treat your, you know, your club members. Now, you know, if you got somebody that shot a whole bunch of deer and they go shoot a, you know, like a, a one-year-old or a two-year-old, yeah, I can get that. But whether they're an adult or a kid and that's their first deer, give them a break. Yeah. Let them enjoy the moment. Don't don't get them where they're afraid to, you know, to enjoy the sport. And I've, I've said that for a long time because I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Hunting is supposed to be fun, and and uh, you shouldn't necessarily, like, uh, unnecessarily increase the barrier of entry for people. Exactly, exactly. Because, hey, I mean, until COVID hit, our numbers were kind of, ladder going backwards well since covid hit we've really had an increase of getting out in the outdoors and i hope mm-hmm. to get these virus out of here it'll, it'll at least stay the same and you know it's just a matter of you know exposing people i've always said if you expose somebody to the outdoors i promise you there's a 99 percent chance they're gonna stay stay with it oh yeah totally it's addicting <laughs> yeah um so all the species you've hunted all the places you've been what is one species or place that like is really just stuck in your mind like do you ever get sick of just hunting deer after all these exotics well i tell you what um i got i got to hunting you know big game you know whether it was elk and i i shot a really nice elk with my bow way back uh in new mexico that was a treat mm-hmm. but the thing is a kid fred bear was kind of i was left-handed playing tennis and i was left left-handed shooting bow. I remember Fred Barrel, American sportsman, that big grizzly bear that walked out behind that rock and he shot it with a long bow. I never mm-hmm. forgot that. So, uh, I said, I want to do that one day. And I, I went to Alaska, it took me five years, but I got on the ground with two grizzlies at 30 yards and Ooh. got my first grizzly with a bow. So, um, that was a whole different feeling than sitting 35 foot up a tree, having a whitetail walk by you. I yeah. promise you that. So, so the big game stuff, I've enjoyed it, but uh, I've just enjoyed hunting with all the different weapons. I mean, that's the cool thing is that, you know, I'm fortunate to have a, a, a lot of sponsors, some of the biggest names in the industry, and, and being able to enjoy the sport with different weapons and just seeing what you have to do, mm-hmm. that's been kind of a cool thing for me for the last 10 or 15 years. 
Well, that seems like the perfect segue into muzzleloading, um, because this is the Muzzleloaders podcast. I uh, probably should talk about muzzleloading a little bit, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you're uh, currently one of your sponsors is Traditions. And so you've been using Traditions muzzleloaders for uh, a while now. How long have you have they been a, a sponsor? Well, they've become a sponsor here, though, I guess last three or four years now. And it's it's kind of a cool relationship because the folks at Federal Ammunition have been with me for what thirty six or thirty seven years from the from the day one. Mm-hmm. And I was I remember I was at the shot show and they said, Look, man, we got some new technology, you know, and uh, I want you to take a look at it. And I remember I was looking at it and it was a fire stick. And I was going, What the heck is that? They said, Well, <laughs> It goes in a muzzleloader. I said, really? you got to be kidding me. They said, no, we've hooked up with the fine folks with traditions. And I've known those guys. I know the Hall family, you know, and watch what they've done over the years. And that's the cool thing about traditions. They've, they've always been on the cutting edge. I mean, they hadn't missed a beat. And, you know, everything they've got is just pure quality and, you know, the value for the hunter and the performance, the accuracy. I mean, you know, they're one of the best. There's no question about mm-hmm. it. So when we got a chance to, you know, do something with those guys because of federal, Man, we were off to the races, you know. Now they got all this new stuff coming out, and they basically—I mean, I call it just—I bubba fight kind of. I call it Barney Fife hunting. Is what I call it because yeah. I can't reload. I mean, I got one good shot, and I better take it because you know, old smoke. I mean, there's so many names for it, but it is a cool way to hunt. Mm-hmm. And what what traditions has come out? They've made it easy for the average person that might have been intimidated by the sport of muzzleloader and made it very simple now. And, you know, these guns shoot out to, you know, 200 yards accurate. I mean, I mean, the technology to me is what's blown my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that uh, muzzleloading is something that was totally off my radar until I started working here. I mean, I guess I, I, I muzzleloader hunted one year. Um, but then I started working here, really getting involved in the community and understanding all that's uh-huh. out there. And I'm one of the people that enjoys muzzleloading in all its forms, whether it's at a rendezvous with traditional muzzleloaders, traditional muzzleloader uh-huh. hunting, hunting with inlines. Like currently I'm in the middle of a, a spring bear season that I'm uh, hunting with a muzzleloader. Right. And uh, one thing I really appreciate about traditions is they actually – they. Uh, they make side lock muzzleloaders and inlines, and they're one of the few manufacturers mm-hmm. that does that uh, still. And so you're able to really have the full spectrum of whatever you like to hunt with in the Traditions brand. No question. And as I said, you know, a lot of hunters now, if you want to get in the woods a little earlier, they got, you know, they got muzzleloader seasons only. And that's mm-hmm. a cool thing. You know, so that's that attracts a lot of people, you know. I remember, you know, they got me going uh, with the striker fire, mm-hmm. and man, what a great, what a great muzzleloader that is! You know, it, it was coming in either thirty or twenty-eight inch barrels, and the accuracy of that thing, and you know, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. believe it. And you know, and the, you know, it's just they had a Tac Two competition style trigger system, which I'm really that's one thing about it is that they've got these trigger is close to the rifle triggers. You know, when mm-hmm. you're close to uh, three pounds on a rifle and you come to muzzle and you got to pull a lot, a lot of times you'll snatch. But the trigger systems for uh, for these muzzleloaders, traditions guy, they've made it simple on me. And that's a lot. You know, you can either use loose or pellet, you know, pelletized powder. Mm-hmm. And um, they just hadn't missed a beat. So I started with the striker fire because I was hunting a certain states uh, where the nitro fire hadn't quite come in and was legal yet. Mm-hmm. So... And then they got me hooked up with the with the new one, and the nitro fire with the fire stick. Holy smokes, was that a cool deal to start with? Oh so, yeah. 
uh, I have had a blast with that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I was the first one on the, on the staff, tradition staff, to shoot a deer with the nitro fire, uh, fire stick combination. Oh, man. Yeah, and I, I think the cool thing about the nitro fire is we were just talking about reducing the barrier of entry into hunting, and muzzleloader, yeah. muzzleloading is like a um, – we're kind of even more niche within the outdoor industry, and the nitro fire really does reduce the barrier of entry uh, into muzzleloading. And I've talked to yep. several people that, that said, you know, I've, I've never really been interested in muzzleloading, but I would definitely tr- uh, try out the nitro fire, and I think that that's really good for the industry overall. It, it, it just bubbified the sport. Okay, yep. it made it easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wanting. You know, I remember when I had to pour the powder in there. Well, man, I couldn't see the barrel. I'm pouring half the powder on the ground. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, or if you're using the pellet, sometimes your pellets will crush. You know, and you don't mm-hmm. even see that, so you you've lost your accuracy. So the cool thing about the fire stick, it's already factory loaded with Triple H. Yep. Okay, and the powder burns a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. And you know, you get every load's the same. So. That was the cool thing about it is that it just took all the elements out that might intimidate somebody and you put it in to one muzzleloader. Yeah. Now, the cool thing about it is in 2020, I think there was only 10 to 12 states that it was legal in. Mm-hmm. Now, more states, close to 21 states here in 2022 in the muzzleloader season open, you can use the nitrifier. Yeah, yeah. And I think that people are kind of starting to realize that um... Because you have you have your certain states like the Pennsylvania flintlock season, Montana now has yeah. their heritage season. There's certain states that just kind of have the desire. And we're from Oregon. Oregon's yeah. uh, some of the most restrictive of all, and they want to keep it, uh, you know, traditional with regard to muzzleloading. But for the states that don't, I think they're kind of realizing that uh, it's actually more ethical and safe to allow the fire stick ignition um, because you're able to one, you're reducing a lot of variables. Like you're saying, you're not going to crush your pellets. Um, yep. your pack, you don't have to worry about consistently packing it down because the bullet sits on the shelf, the powder goes in from the breech and yep. it's going to be consistent every single time. And we've actually, uh, with certain combinations, we've had single digit standard deviation in our testing with the nitro fire, which is extremely impressive. Oh yeah. And you know, they've got the 1.24 vapor twist barrel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty cool innovation in itself right yeah. there. And, uh, as I said, the accuracy you're getting, uh, you know, it expands all your bullet options that you can use. But, I mean, they hadn't missed a beat, really, on the things that they've got. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's cool to me. Uh, they've just taken all all the smart part out from people like me. You don't have to be that smart to use one. And I, that's what I liked about it. And the people I've seen use it go, man, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I just pull that fire stick out of there. and Yeah, that's all you got to do, man. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, the bullet seat's the same way. That's a... That's another thing. The seating of your bullets in the same place every time. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely, uh, you know, for your consistency and accuracy, you definitely need that. So, and we're trying there. I mean, we're shooting out to 200 yards, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. and yeah. We, we got some great groups. And I mean, to me, I can get into a box flying or I get on, I got a millennium ladder stand that I can get a solid rest. And I always try to do that. No matter mm-hmm. where I'm hunting, I want a solid rest. I might even put a sandbag up there and get my elbow locked down. The yeah. gun will do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's the people behind the gun that's, that can mess it up, but uh, yeah. and which I've done. I've done plenty of times. But if I can get solid, and 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 I have enough confidence to put that, you know, to put that uh, crosshairs behind the shoulder, the uh, the striker fire and the nitro fire just been spot on. And I've shot some great bucks with it here in the last few years. 
Absolutely. And I think that traditions too, they have the, the XT triggers in the pursuit and the, the buck stalker models yep. as well. And, yep. um, I've been really impressed with even the more entry level models like those two, because the, the triggers are just so excellent compared to, uh, some other entry level muzzleloaders that uh, have been on the market, you know? So, well, they're crisp and they're an accurate trigger. And mm -hmm. to me, that has a lot to do with it. If you're still pulling and you're, you know, you're going to start pulling your head out from the scope, you got to follow through, but you know, when you get a, when you get a trigger that you really like and smooth, mm -hmm. that puts a lot of confidence in you. So, uh, I just remember in the early days, you know, coming from a three pound trigger, you know, from a rifle that I had set and then coming in there to an old muzzle loader, man, I, I, mean, I wasn't even close, man. I was yeah. smacking it so bad and I was going, <laughs> my gosh. And then, you know, when we got together with traditional, I shot, I said, I looked at my camera and go, you ain't gonna believe this trigger, man. Yeah. Look how smooth this thing is. And, uh, it is, I mean, so, you know, hats off to those guys. They just, they're just cutting edge. They're always trying to make the sport easy and, and you know they want it family oriented they want mm -hmm. people to go out and enjoy it and i think they've done a wonderful job absolutely yeah um have you done anything with their traditional muzzle loaders or have you just kind of stuck with the inlines for the most part no i mean like i said i've been i've been concentrating on the a striker fire and the nitro fire because i only have x amount of hunts that i you know sure. that's, that's tapped in on the muzzle loader side you know then i got bow i got rifle i got crossbow i got a little bit of everything but you know, I've been t picking the states out and, and, you know, putting in for draws. So, uh, mm -hmm. like I said, Kansas was my first year last year with the nitro fire because they just made it legal there. Oh, and, uh, I shot one with the striker fire before in Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma. So, uh -huh. I'm really trying to go to the states that I've got it. And we're going we're gonna to shoot one of the traditions, and we've had a lot of luck, knock on wood, so far. As I said, I think I was the first one to shoot one way back. Uh, I know when I posted social media, nobody would seen it. So, that's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And, um, so with those, uh, muzzleloader hunts, which one is kind of been your favorite? I know that Kansas hunt, I have heard oh, a yeah. lot of awesome things about, and I really want to do that hunt at some point, but, uh, is yeah, there one state they, that's like particularly nice? Well, Kansas is one of them because they have, they have big deer and they've given you a time to hunt them either in September or you can come back during the rifle season, you know, with your tag too. So, uh, I've shot some pretty good deer. Uh, my best deer, uh, with the muzzleloaders come out of Kansas so far. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was talking. You just got to get drawn. That's the main thing. You got to get drawn. But, you yeah. know, Georgia, I mean, Georgia's got some great deer. I mean, mm -hmm. people don't understand how big a deer Georgia's got. And I've shot two good ones over there uh, with the nitro fire, too. So, yeah. one with the striker fire and one with the nitro fire. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, uh, to me, it's just, you know, getting out and enjoying another weapon. And, and as I said, uh, I'm just, I keep waiting for traditions. What are they going to put out next? I don't know how you beat the striker fire and the nitro fire, but I'm sure they're <laughs> going to come up with something yeah. and make it easy for people, dummies like me, to go out and do it. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Well, I think the I really enjoy the people at traditions too, like you're saying. Um, they do a great job over there. Yeah, they do. Really do. And hey, you know what? If Barney Fife was alive, I think Barney would be hunting one more. <laughs> Probably so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I really appreciate uh, you joining us on the podcast today. Uh, did you have any like closing thoughts? I want to make sure people are able to get connected with your content. Um, I know you said you have the Sunday night t Sunday night slot on the Outdoor Channel. What other That's ways right. can people uh, connect with you? Yeah, we all come on. We got you know all our Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, all of that. You know, Buckmaster.com is our website, and, mm -hmm. and you know TV shows and. Uh, if they'd like to subscribe to the Buckmasters magazine, we'd love to have them as a subscriber and be part of the Buckmasters network. So 
Uh, everything's on our website right there, buckmasters.com. And uh, as long as folks will keep watching the TV, we'll keep doing it. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Um, well, Jackie, I really, really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Well, it's my pleasure. And as I said, you know, having folks like traditions, it's, a, it's an honor to go out and hunt with their stuff. And as I said, they're making it so good that even dummies like making shoot so. Totally, totally. Um, well, for you guys listening, uh, thank you guys so much for supporting our show. If you're listening just on the audio platform, be sure to leave a review and uh, let us know what you thought of the show. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell to receive notifications. We post uh, about twice a week on our YouTube channel, uh, all black powder, muzzleloading content, how-tos, reviews, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you guys have any questions, let us know. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.